0: Hi there. Welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy that you tuned in. Please join us today as we continue our series through the book of Matthew.
1: Thanks for joining us online as we go through a series called Asking for a Friend. Have you ever had one of those questions where you know you're supposed to know the answer, but you are so embarrassed to ask it and then you kind of just pose it as, hey, I'm asking for a friend. Can anybody help me out with the answer to this question? Through this series, we will learn that Jesus loves to hear us asking him questions and he loves to answer those back. If you are new or a regular. Thank you so much for logging in. We appreciate all of your um, love and support and generosity through all of these series that we uh, present for you guys. If this is your first time, please log on to www.branchlife.church backslash connect. And in there, you will be able to fill out a connection card. We would love to give you a new Matthew journal as a free gift for, um, logging in and joining us. If you would like more information about our church, you can also go to the website and we, you can find out some events that what's going on and some more um, series that we have already done and just ways to help encourage you. So thanks for jumping in and we hope you enjoy this new series.
0: Let's jump into our series finale. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 20. If you are in your journals, uh, we are going to be on pages 109, or excuse me, 108 and 109 today. And this is a, a pretty fun story to tell that's going to, I hope, either remind you or reorient your thinking. If your thinking is wrong... Your actions will be wrong, and you don't want to waste any of the precious moments that God has given us going after something that's wrong. Something that you thought would bring you fullness and happiness and, and, and uh, completeness, only to find out that it was empty in the end. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. This is a very important moment in the life of Jesus in the story of the book of Matthew, and things are about to switch. And this is one of the last opportunities that Jesus is going to have uh, to teach his disciples and remind, him, remind them about what is going to happen. And we're, we're going to close with that in just a moment. We, to remind you uh, what we've been talking about in the Asking for a Friend series, we've just looked at a series of questions people asked Jesus when they realized he was the Messiah. Some of them wanted to test him. Some of them wanted information. Some of them wanted counsel and advice. And so we asked you guys this series, what question would you ask God, knowing that he would be able to answer it right away? If you could ask him any question, what would it be? And we've looked at several of these questions, seven or eight of them, as a matter of fact. We started way back in the beginning with the fir- probably the first question a lot of us would ask God, when's the end? What, what are, what are, 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 is this the end? Are we in the end times? What will that look like? And we went over that in the first... Part of the series, other questions that we flowed into is like, Who's the boss? Is the government the boss? Are, are, are spirits the boss? Am I the boss? Or is my boss the boss? Is God the boss? How does that work? Who has authority? We asked, Who is the greatest of all time? That was asked to Jesus in the series. Is marriage forever? That came up. Do I have to forgive? Right? So, some really big, heavy hitting questions. If you missed any of them, jump to the YouTube channel, go to Branch Life Sermons page, and you can catch up. Now, for A large percentage of us, that's probably not the questions we would ask. Because all of those questions assume one thing. You're going to ask for a friend, but for yourself, right? I want to know these things. In this moment, this is the one question that was genuinely asked on behalf of another. And this is the heartbeat of every parent. If you were going to stand in front of God and you were going to ask him one thing, I guarantee you parents, for the most part, would step their desires aside, and they would present their kids to God. And somehow, some way, they would ask God to do something for their kids. And that is an amazing example of parenthood. That's what parents do. We love one another when we sacrifice ourselves to benefit other people. And if you could ask God only one question, and you would for it's like getting a genie out of a bottle. Instead of getting a wish for yourself, you ask a wish for your kids. That's selflessness in action. Now, that's the spirit of this question. And what happens in this moment is a mother comes up to Jesus, and a mother asks Jesus, will you make my kids great? Not will you make me great, but will you make my kids great? great and let me remind you why this question came up because it didn't come up randomly we looked last week at this verse in Matthew chapter 19 28 and 30 and it said this in the new world when uh, in the new world when the son of man sits on his glorious throne so new heaven new earth God is reigning, he's the light of the world, he's the authority, we're all, follow. all of us who follow Jesus are now with him, new heaven, new earth, you'll find me somewhere in Montana beside a lake, you will have followed, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones. So now he's talking to the, the 12 disciples and he said, you guys that follow me, you're going to sit on the 12 thrones, and, and are there actually 12 thrones, is he just kind of representing everyone who follows Jesus, now has the authority of Jesus, there's some debate in there, but, but here's how he describes it. And everyone who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or child or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Remember we said make sure your treasure is in heaven, not here on earth, right? Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So then all of the disciples are kind of listening and, and they heard thrones and stopped listening. You mean I get a throne? I want the big one. I want the pretty one. I want the one for Montana. I'm gonna. I want Australia. Like, give me like a big region, right? And all the disciples are all of a sudden thinking, "Wait, I followed Jesus. I've given up all this stuff. That means I get a throne." And they're they're getting excited about the throne, right? So this is the momentum that's building in this in this moment. Jesus gives a warning, and he says this. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. In other words, he gave them this warning. Beware of looking for greatness in all the wrong places. Just be careful that you don't look for greatness in all the wrong places. And here's where we are all in danger. We can assume someone else's definition of greatness, and we can pursue that greatness with all of our hearts, souls, and minds, only to find out that is not really greatness. And we ultimately then waste our time. Waste our energy. Waste our emotion. Waste our prayers. Going after something that God has told us is is empty anyway. And so he says, be careful, guys. Don't look for greatness in all the wrong places. In other words, forget about the throne thing. That's, That's not what you should be focusing on. I want you to focus on being last. So let's see how this then plays out. What happens in this story is the disciples, the followers of Jesus, which were more than just the 12. There was large groups of people that came out and they followed Jesus. And sometimes we think of Jesus as kind of like a nomad wanderer who sort of was always walking, and then there was always a trail of people behind him, and he just kind of walked for three years. And That's not really how it happened, but we can get that in our mind, and it was just Jesus and the 12. Everywhere Jesus went, every time he taught, disciples or followers of Jesus would come to hear him they would come to follow him they would come to learn from him they would often go back to their homes and come back again and keep track with Jesus wherever he was going and and so the group was always morphing and changing but it was always expanding and the 12 were always with him but at times even the 12's families were there Their parents decided to follow Jesus. Their neighbors decided to follow Jesus. Their kids, their wives decided to follow Jesus. And and other strangers would follow Jesus. Mary Magdalene was often with Jesus after she was healed of the the demon spirit. And and many people who were healed by God became followers of Jesus. They followed him with their heart if they didn't walk behind him everywhere they went. And James and John are two of... Two of the disciples that are highlighted, John wrote the book of John, right, and and James is, is John's brother, not the same James that wrote the book of James. And these guys in the Bible, they're called the sons of thunder. And if you need an illustration for what that means, I want you to go back to like the Broad Street Brawlers, right? How many hockey fans do we have here? And, and back in Flyers days, we had the Broad Street Brawlers, and these were the rough guys that kind of came out on ice and just knocked the teeth out of everybody else and everyone else's team. If you wanted to hurt someone or give someone a message, you sent out the Broad Street Brawlers, right? And they came out, and they, they were just those hockey guys that slammed people up against the wall, and they're big, and they were tough, and they were just always had energy, and they're, ah, oh, I'm going to get through, right? That's what they. Did. That was James and John. That was the two disciples where if God was like, we need something taken care of, James and John, go. And they'd be like, yeah, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it done. And they just were just happy and energetic and strong and and went forward with passion. And James and John heard thrones and they went, you know what? I think we got an argument to be like number two and three. And uh, we need to talk to Jesus about that. You know what we should do? We should totally send our mom. And somehow, James and John talk their mom. Now, behind every strong set of sons is a stronger mother. Amen? And so this, this mom, also hearing the word throne, being a follower of Jesus, comes out and approaches Jesus on behalf of her son. So if you're in Matthew chapter 20, here it is, verse 20, a mother's request. Then the mother... The mother of the sons of Zebedee, and that's James and John, came to him with her sons, right there, there, kneeling before him. She asked him for something. What parents don't do for their kids? Let's just pause for that for a moment, right? God, the Messiah, walking here on earth, she has the gall, has the nerve to approach Jesus, kneel before him, and make a request on the behalf of her kids. She's coming up, and you're going to see in a moment, not a small request, not a, a request to be made lightly, but a massively important request. And I just think here in this moment, this is what parents do, what parents don't do for their kids. Also, back at about the same time in the Brushy Brawlers, there was a, there was a group of baseball players who got really big and strong because they figured out what steroids do, like Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, all you guys that are like 40 and over are like, oh my word, I'm reliving my childhood. And in that group was a guy named Roger Clemens who became like the pitcher of the league. And he, I mean, he was strong anyway, Add steroids, and he was like massive. He was just a mountain of a man who was a pitcher. And the story is told about this young man who was working uh, at a resort or at a golf club And Roger Clemens came in, and this kid was just a sports fanatic, right? He was a sports fan. He he gets the nerve to go up to Roger Clemens, this big, huge, giant, steroided uh, pitcher. And he goes, Mr. Roger Clemens, can I have an autograph? And Roger Clemens, because steroids makes you cranky. Roger Clemens looked down at that kid and was like, get out of here. I already gave you an autograph. And he hadn't. But he was confused, and he thought that he gave this kid an autograph, and the kid was coming back for a second one. Well, the kid was crushed. And he, he went away from Roger Clemens, and he went in the other room, and he, he was crying, and he was upset, and his mom saw that he was upset. <laughs> Little petite woman. And she comes up, what's wrong, dear? Roger Clemens wouldn't give me an autograph. He thought he gave me one. He called me a liar, and he sent me away, but I never got an autograph. He did what? And she turned around and took off through the lobby, through the resort, and all the, the boy could hear was, Roger Clemens! Roger, excuse me, Roger Clemens, you need to give my son an autograph. He did not get an, and the, and the story's told that Roger Clemens was actually backing away from the small woman who was coming at her saying, Roger, and she got the autograph from Roger Clemens and took it to her son, and right, like, now he cherishes this forever, and now they have this story. What we don't do for our kids. Now, sometimes, let me just give you this this gold nugget. Sometimes, parents, on behalf of our kids, we can turn into what culture culture dubs mama and papa bears. And we can think that our kids have been wronged, or our kids have been slighted, or our kids have been bullied, or our kids have been hurt, and we can go after people on behalf of our kids. We will tear a teacher up one side and down the other. We will go to a coach and say that they're the worst coach in the world and they should be playing our kid more. We can vilify a referee because we think they made a bad call. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have been there? And you let the passion well up inside of you and you automatically take the side of your kid, which you are biased, by the way, and you go into defense mode and attack mode on behalf of your kids. Let me just say this. Saying mama bear does not excuse bad behavior. You tear that person apart and then you go, sorry, I was just being a mama bear. And they're supposed to go, oh, okay, then fine. Don't worry about it. Like, you cursed me out, but since you were just being a mama bear, that must mean it's okay. That's not how it works, all right? Mama bear is not a free pass to go act, act badly towards other grownups because you're defending your kids. Do not go into mama bear mode. All right, that's not a Christian way to react to to your kids being slighted. We need to train them and guide them and walk them through situations. We often don't need to step in and do it for them. And we can help them learn to defend themselves, to stand for themselves, to understand the situation fully and correctly before making judgment, before getting angry, before going on the war path, all right? So that's just a bonus thought because, man, what parents won't do for their kids? We often go into mama bear mode because we want our kids to be great, and we want them to excel, and we want them to succeed, and we want them to grow stronger, and so all of this theme is happening in this moment, and here comes this woman to Jesus, and she's, 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 she's being aggressive. She's being strong. She's being authoritative, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Now, in the next couple of verses, here's, here's how, how it happens. In verse 21, and he says to her, what do you want? And she says to him, say that these two sons of mine, James and John, are to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in the new kingdom. In other words, you said they all get thrones, I want this one on the right and this one on the left. And Jesus answered her, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink, and he turns to James and John, are you able to drink of the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, because they're the sons of thunder, yes we can. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand are not mine to grant, but it is for those who have been prepared by my Father. You see, in this moment, this is just a form of prayer. This, this mother and James and John on, on their behalf are praying. They're giving a request to Jesus, and she knelt before him, and she asked him for something. That's what we often do at prayer. We come to God, we enter his throne room, and we say, dear God, will you? And and fill in the blank, and we pray. So in this moment, there's a a lesson about prayer. And just right off the bat, understand this. Jesus answered the prayer by saying no. (laughs) Can you put them on the right and the left? And he said no. And there's a lot of reasons Jesus says no to prayer, but sometimes the answer to your prayer is no. And a lot of times when we talk about prayer and we praise God for answering prayer, we say God answered my prayer, which means he said yes. But if God says no, it sometimes doesn't count as an answered prayer. So we say, God, heal my sick family member, and God says no, and then we're going, where are you, God? Why aren't you answering my prayer? It's not that he didn't answer. He always answers. He answers every single prayer every time. It's just either yes, no, or maybe, or later. And we must pray according to God's will. And sometimes the no, always, the no is the better answer than the yes, but we just don't see it that way. So in this moment, when she's asking for the kids to be on the right and the left, he says, no, I'm not going to do it. Why not? Number one, you don't know what you're asking. And so many times, we can have a good posture, but ask a bad request of God because we think we know what we're asking for. Have you ever asked God for patience? Don't do it. You don't know what you're asking. You just literally ask to suffer more. God, help me be more patient. Okay, all right. You asked for it. Now you're going to get it, right? So we we often don't know what we're doing. We are limited. We are small. We don't have all the answers, yet he is God. He is everywhere. He's all-knowing. He has all the answers. How presumptuous is it for James and John and their mother uh, to come up and think that they, in some way, shape, or form, deserve to sit at the right and the left of God? They think they're qualified. I gave up everything, lands. They're my sons. They're better than all the rest. Put them here. No. You don't know what you're asking. First of all, you don't understand what you're saying. Second, they're going to have to suffer. In order to be followers of me, you're going to have to drink of my cup. And are you willing to drink of my cup? And what they're thinking is, yeah, if you're going to be king, I'm going to be king. I want to drink from the king's cup. I want the king's food. I want the king's land. I want to share in that. And there's something good in understanding Jesus is king. But what Jesus is saying, in order for to be king, I've got to suffer. In order to be first, I've got to be last. Are you ready to be last? Are you ready to suffer more than anybody else? Because the greatest among us suffer the most. The greatest among us serve the most. The first are actually the last. Have you ever gone to a buffet where, where a church potluck or, or a buffet where it was like a certain start time and you're like, one, two, three, everybody go get your dinner? It's fascinating to see who goes first in line and who goes last. I, I always try to get the kids not to go, but there's just no hope, right? Go, go ahead, the dessert table's open bam, I'm going to go get the best dessert. If you're uh, someone who likes to park your car, right, how how many of you like anxiously try to get the closest spot to the mall, right? Like I got to get the closest spot to the church. I got to get in the closest. Why? Because we want to be first. But Jesus is saying greatness is to to be the last one in line. Let everybody else go before you. Jesus says that the greatest person here at worship today is the person who parked the farthest away. I'm not going to go write your license plate down, but if you park far away, you're awesome. Some of the greatest people here are in the back room making sure the live stream goes out with good sound and good lighting. Some of the greatest people here are sitting down in the nursery, changing your kid's diaper right now. Right? And Jesus is saying, You're going to have, you don't, I'm saying no because the amount of suffering that's required, I don't know if, if you understand that's going to happen. And the third reason he says no is because he says, you don't understand my role. He said, it's not for me to grant, it's for my Father to grant. And you're like, wait a minute, how does this work? He's talking about the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three equal parts, making one, but they have distinct roles. They're, they're, they're submissive to one, one another's roles, yet they're equally one. It's an incredible picture of Marriage. And Jesus is not the one who sits in the position of authority. The Father does. And the the Father's going to make this decision. The Father's going to decide. So the Father's the one that's going to iron all this stuff out. So we rest in the Father's will. You know, Jesus is the one who puts the Father's authority into practice. Jesus is the one who's showing us how to obey the Father. Jesus is showing us the true path of greatness because he is the one who's putting God's plan in action. If you ever wondered what it was like to walk around, what somebody would be like walking around as a servant leader, uh, look no further. Jesus gives us that example. So, so that's why Jesus sometimes says no to our prayers. So we want to inform our prayers. We want to make sure that we're praying the right thing. And so we always pray according to God's will. The second thing that comes up is is what happens in verse 24. The third thing, in in Matthew chapter 20, verse 24, here's what it says. Then the other 10, right? So James and John and then the other 10 were 12, heard it and they were indignant. In other words, they were fuming mad. (laughs) They got real angry real quick because they hadn't thought of it first. They're like, how dare James and John go up and ask for the right and left. I'm, Phillip's like, I'm, Thomas is like, I'm supposed to be on the right. Peter's like, wait a minute, what about me? I'm not chopped liver. And if you never got picked first for a game, you know exactly how these guys felt. I played sports, but I was not a good athlete. And so when I would go outside for for kindergarten, uh, kickball in elementary school, and they, this is torture, right? For all the short, pudgy kids out there, you know exactly how I'm feeling in this moment. And they get a team captain, and they're going to start picking their teams. And I want the kid that's in first grade, but looks like he's a senior in high school. He gets picked first, right? The future Olympian gets picked second, yeah? And they're all going. They're going down the line. i got my glasses that are broken and crooked, and my shirt's not covering my belly. And I'm like, pick me, pick me! <laughs> he's last! Oh man! Oh shucks! Like you can get mad in that moment. How dare they not pick me? What's wrong with me? I can I deserve it. Give me a chance, coach. Put me on the field. So they all got mad, and it's super super easy, right? For those of those of us that have anger issues, to to constantly deal with this in our lives. And here here is a, a masterclass in how to deal with anger. Were they wrong in being angry? Ah, eh, maybe. But this emotion boils up inside of all of us. I'm, I'm not a, a, a temper loser. I'm not somebody that, that boils up. If, if I'm mad, I'm quiet. You, you better watch out. Some people explode, and they yell at their, their spouse. They yell at their kids. Some people scream, right, at each other. You ever have two kids come outside at the same time and want to get in the front seat of the car? Shotgun, I call it, double shotgun, double shotgun, force fields. infinity shotgun, I'm in the front, no, I'm in the front, you had it last time, that's exactly what's happening in this moment. And then you, you the kids, how dare you? you, come on, don't you want your sister to sit in the front, don't you want to serve them and be nice to them and kind of, no. Why don't they understand this? Because the whole time you're driving, you're going, stupid driver, I was here first. This is my spot. You stay over there. How dare you pass me on the left? I'm going I'm to. They watch you drive and they imitate your behavior. Road rage is road rage for a reason. Now, how many people am I starting to step on toes? And you never thought you'd say that word again, but there you did. You said it yesterday, and now you're going to say it again tomorrow. And you never thought you'd throw that stuff across the room, but if they cancel school one more time. They make me put that mask on. I'm going to tell them what to do. And then you're going to make it. And we can get angry. What's the solution to our anger? The answer to your anger is the gospel. If you're an angry person, if you're someone who deals with anger on a regular basis, you must constantly remind yourself of the gospel. What's the gospel? See verse 28. And Jesus came not to be served, but to serve many. He gave his life as a ransom for many. In other words, the gospel says, I sacrifice myself for you. You have been forgiven by God so you can forgive others. Forgive and sacrifice. That's the gospel. Forgive and sacrifice. That's the equation to solve any, any moment of anger that you have. Forgive them. Forgive that person and then sacrifice for yourself. So kids, next time you're going out to the car and one of you yells shotgun, yell shotgun for you. I said it first, but I was saving it for you. Next time they say, hey, the banquet line is open, send your buddy in front of you. Next next time you're out in traffic and you're fighting for the same spot and you're getting mad at them, yield. Let them go first. And be pleased about it. Forgive your wife, sacrifice for her. Forgive your kids, sacrifice for them. Forgive your boss, sacrifice for them. Forgive your president, sacrifice for him. Forgive your teacher, sacrifice for him. Forgive your friend, sacrifice for them. That's the equation to solve your anger. Now the the lesson concludes with the main point of the text. Matthew chapter 20 verses 25 and 26 says this. But Jesus called to them, the angry disciples, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must first be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must first be your slave. You see, Jesus now gives us the correct definition of greatness because our idea of greatness is upside down. You see, we think that greatness is represented at the top of the pyramid. And we're always trying to get ourselves to the top of the pyramid because, in our world's idea of greatness, in our mind's idea of greatness, in our heart's idea of greatness, if I can get to the top, The many will serve me. And when you are great, you have authority over everyone else. So the president is great because he has authority over all of the people. The boss is great because he has authority over all of the employees. The parents are great because they have authority over the family. The teacher is great because they have authority over the kids. I'm the best player on the field. I'm great because I'm better than everyone else on the field. So pass me the ball and serve me. I want to be great, and this is how greatness works. And Jesus says, greatness is not having exercise of authority over people. That's not how greatness works. That's assuming that the many will serve you. Greatness is something that is actually completely upside down. You see, you are actually great when you, the one, are serving the many. That's what greatness is. I want you to think for a second about the greatest person you know. Think about who they are and why they are great in your life. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a neighbor. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a friend. But they are just great. Just this last week, one of the great ones in my life passed away. I was at a funeral a couple of days ago, and it was a funeral for a man by the name of Chris, Chris Jones. And Chris Jones was the nurse or the medic at High Point Camp. And he existed in my life as the person who was always fixing our (laughs) boo-boos. And if our campers broke, he put them back together. And if there was sickness, he was the one that gave him the medicine. And he just served all the time, all the time. And he was encouraging, and he put his arm around people, and that's all he did. He just didn't stand out in any other way, shape, or form. And when I found out that he passed away this week, I didn't know he was sick. I didn't even know this was a possibility. All of a sudden, I sat there as I read the announcement, and my heart just was heavy. And I was sad, and I thought about how many times Chris helped me. How many times he just accomplished good in my life, or smiled, or gave us medicine for our kids, our campers, or or was the one that we ran, and he just did it consistently and over and over again. He didn't get paid for it, completely a volunteer, did it for over 15 years. That's greatness. And when you think about the greatest person in your life, the common thread is going to be that they served you in some way. They encouraged you in some way. They supported you in some way. They lifted you up in some way. They gave of their time, their energy, their emotion, their effort. And they allowed you to rise. We often think that the greatest people in our lives are the richest, the most powerful, the most influential. And it is so easy to get greatness confused in the age of the selfie and the influencer. I got to promote myself. I've got to lift up my name. I've got to get my face and my brand out there. And what God is saying is he's saying, beware of looking for greatness in all the wrong places. Because greatness is not being served. Greatness is serving others. And we get it upside down. So our idea of greatness is upside down. So we must look at the idea of service. Now, what does this kind of service look like to be a servant? Well, that's what he explains in verses 27 and 28. Listen, listen to me. Verse 28 may be one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Verse, 28, verse 27, for whoever would be first among you must be slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's read that together again out loud. Verse 28, say it with me. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That is service. To lay down your life so that others may rise. That is parenting. To give your home, uh, to make your home as strong and as great as it can be so that your kids can rise. That is that is teaching, that is leading, that is being a boss, that's, that's being a team member, that's being a part of a church, is allowing your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your time, your money, your everything to serve others. And so Jesus is giving us this truth. The only path to greatness is service. Now, if you believe that, That's going to transform the way that you parent, the way that you pray, your emotions and your anger. It's going to inform your idea of greatness and how you pursue it and how you help others pursue it. Because here's the simple equation for greatness. Think about it with me. To be a great, fill in the blank, serve your, fill in the blank. This is the equation. So if you're here today and you're a wife, to be a great wife serve your husband husbands say it with me to be a great husband serve your what? to be a great parent serve your to be a great child serve your parents to be a great brother serve your sister to be a great sister serve your brother to be a great coach serve your team to be a great boss serve your employees to be a great employee, serve your boss. This is the equation. And guys, if you want to be the greatest friend everyone's ever, anyone's ever had, it's not having the nicest car and the best clothes and the, and the newest haircut. If you want to be a great friend, serve your friends. If you want to be a great pastor, serve your flock. If you want to be a great flock, serve your pastor. If you want to be a, the greatest branch group that's ever been known in the history of branch groups, and you're like, I love my group. my Coventry group, the Douglasville group's fantastic. The young adult group's amazing. The teen group is the jam, right? If you want to be a great group, serve your neighbors. Your group should be good at serving. If you want to be a, a great, if we want to be a great church, the church that God has put here for this time, for this generation, for this community. We need to be a church that serves our city. That's going to be our only path to greatness. It is not a bad thing to want greatness when you define it God's way. It's okay to be, want to be great. It's okay to want to be a great kid, a great athlete, a great, a great boss, to be a great church. It's okay. But the path to greatness is through service. It just means you're going to have to serve more people. So we exist as a church to strengthen our connection to Christ so we can go out and reach our world. We want to serve. So who is God calling you to serve? And as parents, can I, can I please ask you to consider the way that you are teaching your kids about greatness? Because often we are forcing our kids to the top of the pyramid, thinking if we can make them be better, that they're going to be greater. The Olympics have been going on for the last two weeks. Do you know what the chances are of your kid winning an Olympic gold medal is? One in nine million. They're not going to do it. We then treat our kids like they're each one of them future gold medalists. And here's what happens. We can worship potential instead of calling. Larry Osborne puts puts it this way. That our culture has a is, has a, a pandemic of worshiping the wrong thing. We worship potential, and we look at our kids' potential to be great, and we say, oh, they can be the greatest athlete, they can be the valedictorian, they can be the next rock star or composer, they can, they can be uh, the, the, the smartest kid in their class, they can make a bunch of money, they, they can be an incredible businessman, they can go to the nicest college, and we start worshiping their potential, and we start pushing, and we start praying, and we say, God, make my kid great! And God says, you don't know what you're asking. Why, why can our kids do quadruple Lutzes, but they can't quote John 3.16? They know how to explain the quadratic equation, but they can't pray for more than five minutes at a time. They they can go to all of the weekend tournaments, but they can't make it to weekend worship? They can get to level 100 in their video game but they can't have a conversation with their neighbor about Jesus. They they can fill in the blank kill a 10 point buck but they can't do their chores without complaining. How are we raising our kids? What are we teaching them about greatness? What if instead of having them pursue their potential we ask them to fulfill their calling God's calling you to be a servant God's calling them to be disciples. God's calling them to be givers. God's calling them to be uh, uh, followers of Jesus. God's calling them to serve. And we need to invest in those things and allow those things to be the things that we pray about and invest our time and energy and effort in. Can they shoot 10 point bucks? Can they do uh, uh, quadratic equations and a quadruple LUT? Sure, whatever your hands find to do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. But that doesn't mean cutting out the more important calling, good brother, faithful servant, generous giver, lover of God, someone who knows the word and knows how to pray. Those should be the things that we ask God to raise up in our kids because that's greatness. So God ends uh, this chapter and ends this thought today by just reminding us of the power of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 29 through 34, there's this random kind of insert of Jesus healing two blind men. But when you think about it, it's actually amazing about how this is organized. This moment is then the gospel in action. It informs greatness. In other words, Jesus is saying, not just do what I say, but do what I do. And Jesus shows the gospel in a microcosm in this story where he's traveling around with the crowd and two blind men say, Lord, have mercy on me. And the crowd says, shush, shush, he's important, he's great, don't bother him. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 I exist to serve as many people as possible. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And Jesus stops to the blind man and says, what do you want, have mercy on us, heal us. And Jesus in pity has mercy on the blind men, does a miracle, causes them to be able to see and guess what they do? They follow Jesus. That's the gospel. Jesus hears your cry. He hears your cry. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. He heals your spiritual blindness. And because of the power of Jesus, because he served you, you then get to be a follower of him and get to pass on that service and that act of greatness to as many people as he will allow you to pass it on to. The gospel in a microcosm. Then Jesus moves into this incredible period that he's been Announcing that he's been proclaiming, that he's been declaring to his disciples. He said it four or five times Guys, I'm going to die. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again from the dead. And it's super important. That's the cup that I'm going to drink. That's the cup that you're going to have to drink. Why in the world would Jesus die on the cross? He died on the cross so he could serve you. He died on the cross so he could give his life as a ransom for you, so that he could pay your debt that you owe. Jesus now is going to go through a period of seven days. We call it the Passion Week. It starts with the, the triumphal entry where they're throwing down the palm branches, going all the way to the upper room where they have communion, in the Garden of Gethsemane, finally being arrested, tried, and hanging on the cross. He then resurrects from the dead and he ascends into heaven. It's the most powerful seven days that this world has ever known. And our next series that we're going to start studying next week is simply traveling through these seven days. We're calling it Seven Days That Changed the World. And we're going to look over these next seven weeks at this week, this Passion Week. It's going to end on Easter Sunday. We're going to close out the book of, of Matthew. We're going to remind ourselves about the power of the resurrection and the Great Commission. And we're going to celebrate a resurrected Savior. In this, t- this seven-week period, we're going to set aside 28 days of prayer and fasting. And I'm so excited about God speaking to us about how we can be great. He's answered our questions. Now he's going to demonstrate his greatness by serving for many. I hope that you will join us for this series. This little bumper is going to kind of whet your appetite as we uh, start gearing towards this series over this next seven days, uh, next seven weeks. And as this bumper plays, will you just talk to God and ask him to speak and to do great things over these next seven days?
1: Hey guys, thanks again for diving into God's word with us. We hope it spoke to you in a special way. Don't forget to fill out your connection card before you log off. You may go to branchlife.church or you can find it in the chat area and click on the link. If this was a blessing to you, it would be a favor to us if you could pass the word along. Share it online, tag a friend, or by word of mouth. Who knows how God can speak to you or to others through this series. Anytime you would like to connect with us, come right back onto our website or onto our YouTube channel, Facebook, and hopefully you can find um, ways to connect with us, more series to dive into, and just ways to help encourage you throughout your day. Thanks again. Bye.